Hi, and welcome to the Unique Perspective Show, broadcast live on Hakol Radio, powered by the Montanivasar. Every person, and in particular, every Jew, is special and unique in his or her own way, contributing to society with their very own flavor. My name is Yehuda Blonder, your show host, and I was born with a rare medical condition called familial dysautonomia, also known as FD. Growing up and overcoming multitudes of medical challenges shaped the person I am today, as well as gave me a rather unique perspective on life. On this show, we will be sitting down with amazing people with unique perspectives in life who will give us a glimpse into their lives and what makes them who they are. Come along with me for the ride on the Unique Perspective Show on Hako Radio. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Unique Perspective Show live on Hako Radio powered by the Munson Vasa. On this week's episode, I am thrilled and honored to announce that I have the pleasure of having my dear friend David Bass on the show. This week's episode is in memory of my dear friend Rafi Strauss, Rafal Yaakov Israel, Ben Ron. Please help me in welcoming David to the show. Welcome, David, and how are you? Good, good. Thank you for having me been a long time in the making. I've been thinking about having you on my show for a really long time. I just never really, like, we we haven't seen each other in about, I don't know, 15 years. So it's very, like, it was hard to get you, but we got you. Yeah, it's it's definitely been a while. Um, you know, hopefully this is the start of it not being such a long time between, you know, seeing and getting together. Exactly. So first of all, where are you right now? Yeah, so um, currently I'm uh, in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Um, I'm currently working from home. Didn't go into the office today. I work in Brooklyn. Um, oh. Yeah, I'm a I'm a lawyer. Um, so yeah, that's where that's where I'm at going out right now. Okay, so um, growing up. First of all, where did you grow up? And second of all, what schools did you go to? And sure. tell us a little bit about your childhood. Yeah, so uh, so I was born in Queens. Um, my parents, one of my, my dad's from Montreal. My mom also grew up in Queens. Um, but most of my childhood, I grew up in, um, in West Hempstead, which is Long Island. Um, I grew up, I, I lived there basically all my life until I went to college and whatnot, um, which is great. I went to Hank Hebrew Academy of Nassau County from mm-hmm. like pre-K up until 12th grade, um, wow. which is a great experience. And yeah, I mean, you know, thank God in from Hank and from um, West Hempstead, I really, you know, thank God had a lot of still and still have a lot of close friends and it was really a great experience. Um, from Hank, I went um to uh Torah Traga in Israel for the year to learn uh actually for a year and a half to learn in Israel which was in Jerusalem after that I went to YU for about uh three semesters transferred to Baruch graduated from Baruch with a degree in um public affairs 
Wow. Um, and yeah, and then and then I went to law school. Um, where I went to I moved to DC uh, to go to the George Washington University Law School wow. um, in DC and graduated in 2020. And I've been working uh, ever since. So it's been a it's been a little bit of a ride, but you know, um, thank God it's uh, it's been good. Wow. Yeah. So I, I, I actually remember coming to your house once, I think, for like yeah. a Super Bowl party. Yeah. But um growing up, so if you can explain to us to our audience what you exactly have as like sure. as your condition, that would be great. Yeah. So um I was born with a very, very rare uh skin collection of skin diseases called epidermolysis bullosa, uh, which is EB for short. Um, And basically what it does is it causes blistering on the surface of the skin or really the skin to to shear off from any contact or friction, right? So that can be something as simple as, you know, using a pen or a pencil to write, um, typing on a keyboard, um, but really goes all the way to, you know, to, to just walking around or sitting on a chair, things like that, right? Because everything that you do in life has friction, right? And really right. the two the two most areas where, where you, you have friction on your body every day, your hands and your feet. Right. Um, so, you know, for me, um, growing up, um, walking was always a challenge because, you know, as as soft as you know your socks and your shoes are there's always going to be friction so you know 90 percent of the blisters that i have um are on my my feet and my hands so growing up um i used a wheelchair mostly to get around as i got older i started um yes using the wheelchair less and less Mm -hmm. um but you know eb is um something that you know, as really, I would say, shaped my life. And what it is something that um, I think I've learned a lot from taken a lot from. um, And especially when you put it in perspective, uh, most people, or I would say a lot of people with EB actually pass away at a young age. Um, So, you know, there are different levels of severity for EB. I happen to have one of the uh, least severe forms of EB, even though I'm still affected on a day to day basis. But there are people that have EB, that unfortunately die before the age of, um, you know, a few years old, five years old from a wow. variety of, for a variety of reasons. So, you know, it's definitely something that I, you know, uh, learned to live with and, you know, um, have, and I think have also gained from, but it's, it's been a challenge for sure. Wow. So growing up when you were, yeah. when, when this, well, first of all, when were you diagnosed and how was the school experience with, you being in school with having EB? Yeah. So um, I was diagnosed around like three or four days old. Um, And and it's actually an interesting story. So, so it's a genetic condition, but in my, in in my um, case, there's no family history of it whatsoever um, on any side. Um, So it was, it was a gene mutation, Um, you know, and after I was born, you know, everything looked, looked fine and dandy. Um, and then uh, like a day or two after my parents had brought me home, um, they saw like my skin was all like red and splotchy. So they brought me back to the hospital and it's interesting. No one knew what it was because I spoke at that point in the early nineties, right. it really wasn't taught in the medical schools. Um, people didn't have exposure to what EB was. It's a, it's a really rare orphan disease that 
affects, you know, it's one in 1 million live births. Um, so it's, it's, it's very, very, uh, rare. Um, and, um, you know, there's this old, old doctor who said, Oh, I think it may be this. I think I saw it like 40 years ago. So, you know, thank (laughs) God for him. And he was the one that was like, you know, put my parents on the right track um you know about about getting diagnosed and you know obviously that was a shock to them you know but i think they kind of made the decision you know just to segue into your question about school i think that you know at that point they kind of made the decision that that you know they weren't going to kind of let me let it take over my life um you know they were kind of going to let me decide how eb affected my life you know so um Early, early in my life, I did split time, in, like pre-K, I split time between a, a school called Henry Viscardi, which was for uh, kids with like disabilities of all sorts, and Hank, uh, which was a, a normal, completely normal school, um, you know, but then again, they soon realized that, you know, it was just best for me to be in a school with, you know, the people that were in West Hempstead, they were my neighborhood that I was friends with um and whatnot and you know so being in a school where i was the only one you know that used a wheelchair that had a a very visible disability um you know it definitely was challenging at a young age um you know because i think like all children are you know we're very um susceptible to thinking like why am i different why you know, is this happening to me? You know, why are all my friends playing basketball or hockey and I can't, those types of things. So it definitely took me, it was definitely, I would say, uh, a difficult experience kind of coming to terms with EB at a young age, especially in the context of school where, you know, I was with everyone that was normal. And it wasn't like people weren't friends with me because of EB or anything like that. It just, you know, I had to recognize that there were certain differences and, you know, things that they could do that I couldn't. And, um, you know, it definitely took me a while to kind of come to terms with that and figure out how to adapt, I would say. Was it easy or was it harder to make friends because of it? Or was it easier to make friends because of it? Um, I would say that, you know, there were times when it was harder because, you know, people are sometimes a little bit hesitant Right. Or, you know, unsure, uh, you know, to how to, um, you know, how to approach or have a discussion with, especially as a, as a child, right? Like 100%. how to, ha- how to have, a, have a discussion or approach someone that's different than them, whether it's a wheelchair or whatnot, you know, but on the flip side, you know, there were a lot of people that were like, oh, wow, he, you know, has a cool wheelchair and, you know, he's you know, very normal, you know, it's the only thing that I can say it's different. So I wouldn't say it was like really that hard. And especially considering, you know, the people that I went to elementary school with, a lot of them were people that were from my neighborhood. So I was seeing right. them in school, I, you know, our parents were friends. So it was, you know, it, our friendship was more than just, you know, oh, he has EB, you know, let's be friends with him. It was, you know, we were actually good friends, you know, and we would hang out all the time. And I think, you know, they did recognize at some point, like, oh, you know, David can't necessarily do everything, or, you know, there are certain things that we have to be cognizant of, you know, so I give my credit to, you know, friends, just like, you know, my family before them, you know, for realizing that, you know, there there were certain things that, um, you know, that, that were challenges, I guess. Wow. 
So, um, okay, so that was growing up in Hank and your childhood. How, yeah. how did, I mean, you were, were you hospitalized a lot because of it? And how did you get involved with Chaylaq and Sash Kem Simcha? Yeah, so I, I, to my recollection, I really wasn't ever hospitalized or anything okay. like that. Um, you know, with the form of EB that I have, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting because, you know, it's not so severe where you're constantly having surgeries or, you know, being hospitalized again, unless, you know, I, I know that there are people that have similar types to me that, you know, get infections and need to be hospitalized for that type of stuff. But that, at least for me, wasn't the norm, but on the flip side, you know, it was affecting me every, you know, every minute of every day, you know, right. whether through pain or through, so it was kind of um you know it's kind of an interesting dynamic in, in that end in, in in that sense um but um you know i think that as i mentioned before you know there were certain things that grew, going to a school that, and having friends that were all you know quote unquote you know fully abled right um they were all going to summer camps or doing activities that were you know that they were that they were completely normal. They were able to do play sports right. all day, things like that. That wasn't really again, which again, I would have loved to have done, but it wasn't really what was in the cards, right? So I think right. that's when um, I think it was around second or third grade where I guess uh, again, I'm not exactly sure how it came to be. Either my parents reached out to High Lifeline, or there was some sort of connection there, um, and we started getting involved. And you know, I think it was the second year of Camp Simple Special where right. um, you know. Um, I went and which was obviously a, a great experience and, you know, allowed me to, to, you know, be with people who, you know, didn't really care about the disability. And, and also, um, I was able to really have a, a full summer experience. Right. And uh, just to piggyback on that, I think it was the second summer that you and, um, our friend Ellie Potel came yeah. and we were pretty much in the same bunk for like six summers in a row if i'm not mistaken yeah yeah it was something it was something like that six seven summers in a row which you know again it's great i get to got to meet you got to meet ellie um you know some some great times of, of like yeah, growing up we had, you know? we had great times actually but yeah. um so so and i'll after... also say but yeah i, I was yeah. gonna also say about with with cam Simcla, i think it was also really interesting you know just because you know, you look at the three of us and we're all different. We all have this different disabilities and we all, right. um, you know, came from very different backgrounds. And I think it was like very interesting how, you know, even till this day, even though, you know, it's been a while since, you know, we, we've, we've been in the same room and, and, and right. really, you know, been together. I think it's still interesting how we're all still in contact to some extent, 15, you know, years later, um, just from that relationship and, and, mm. and, and, you know, which I think is great. Yeah, that, I I actually do think that's that's great. I mean, fifteen years later, that I mean, we're still in touch to some degree. It's amazing. Yeah. Um. So after that, you went to you went to Israel for a year and a half. All this, how was it living in Israel in yeshiva in school? Yeah. So yeah. So after high school, um, I went to so going to yeshiva and i would say actually picking a yeshiva was was a was difficult and i right. actually credit ellie so it's funny because i actually followed ellie was a year older than me right. right um and so a lot of the stuff i actually piggybacked on on ellie 
Um, And and our our families were in touch. For example, when I think it was between a 10th and 11th grade, um, in my community, a lot of people go to Israel on a summer program to like travel through Israel for the year. Most of them can, you know, have a lot of hikes and stuff like that, which obviously for someone who uses a wheelchair is not not ideal. Um, So Ellie was actually the first well, was the first one I knew that did a program called Yad Beyond, which um, was for people who, which combined people with fully abled and people with with mental disabilities uh, for, and physical disabilities on a trip to Israel. So I, so, so it's funny because I piggybacked on him. I, after he did the program his year, I did it the next year. And then when he was going to Israel, um, he also had the same problems that I did the year after where, you know, Israel, for all its greatness, isn't the most accessible country in the world um, for, right. for, you know, for wheelchairs and things like that. Um, a lot of it just having to do with the historical nature of Israel and geography. Yeah. Um, right. And, and, and whatnot. So, you know, I know Ellie struggled, I believe when, you know, finding a yeshiva that was going to be a good fit, you know, for right. one person, okay. but also that would that would be able to have a wheelchair. So I similarly did uh, had that problem where you know it really came down to two yeshivas that were ex- that were um, wheelchair accessible. One was uh, Torah Traga, which I ended up going to okay. by Vigan in Jerusalem, um, and the other um, I'm blanking on its name, but Ellie went there. Um, so just getting to the yeshiva was a little, or I would say picking yeshiva was interesting because a lot of other people had options, right? They could choose right. this yeshiva, that yeshiva to really fit their need. Um, where I was kind of pigeonholed just because there were two yeshivas that were like accessible at the time. You know, that being said, I loved my experience. I, you know, have great friends from there. I had a great experience. Um, but it was also a challenge because, you know, you know, also, like I said, Israel isn't the, the the most accessible, so my wheelchair would constantly break. Like I think it broke like I don't know, like every other week, and it, wow. it was just like crazy, just because of like the, the cobblestone and whatnot. Um, but being in Israel was great. I have a lot of family in Israel. Um, you know, I actually started my foundation in Israel, um, and I you know got to you know learn for a bit um and just make some great friends so going to yeshiva there was was an incredible experience uh though obviously a difficult one as well like i said just because a lot of people when they travel through israel it's hikes it's things like that which you know make it difficult for you know for someone who uses a wheelchair or even you know then i was kind of start slowly starting to gravitate away towards using a wheelchair every day you know but even you know with eb I, you know, if I can walk one day, I know that the next day is going to be really painful just because of the bliss, you know, the blisters from the day before. And I, you know, won't be able to walk for a day or two after. So wow. it was definitely a challenge. I definitely learned a lot about myself and about how to deal with EB, you know, as I was becoming an adult. So it was interesting. Wow. Wow. We will be right back after words from our sponsor. Is your computer running slower than molasses? Are you desperate to salvage important data from your hard drive? Let's face it, IT work can be a nightmare at times. Whether it entails virus removal, server or network setup, networking and cloud backup, or simple laptop and desktop ongoing IT support. At VentureTech, we understand how essential your systems are to your daily life, and we take the time to accurately diagnose every technical issue you're experiencing. Call us now for a consultation 
by dialing 347-603-0033 or shoot us an email to info at VentureTechComputers.com. And we are back on the Unique Perspective show. So you actually brought it up and I wanted to bring it up as well. Um, you started an organization. Um, yes. If you can tell us a little bit about what the organization's name is and what what you what the organization stands for and what it does. Sure. Yeah. So um, so since Chai Lifeline, you know, once I got involved with Chai Lifeline, I really kind of loved the nonprofit scene and I really okay. liked the message that Chai Lifeline was doing. Um, so I started fundraising with them, and then after I my Israel trip with Yachad and Yabiyad, I actually started a a fundraising team for them. But then once I graduated high school, I really wanted to um, do something for EB that was very personal to me. Um, yeah. And when I started looking at it, you know, I realized that a lot of the fundraising um, does two things. It's one geared towards older people, right, uh-huh. who have more money to donate, right, because at the end of the day, that's what a foundation is. It really needs to take in money to do whatever their cause is. And two, all the EB organizations um that uh, that were around at the time were really focused more on research uh, okay. for a cure for a treatment because at the moment there's no cure or treat cure or treatment for any version of EB. Wow. Um, thank God, you know, over the past 10, 15, 20 years, they've made significant progress. Um, but you know, when I was starting this in about 2011, they're really Again, we were, we were really at the, at the beginning stages. So I wanted to do two things. I wanted to create something for EB that focused okay. on EB that didn't just focus on um, medical research. I wanted something to help people with EB, right? Because people that have severe forms of EB, their families can be spending between ten dollars and $20,000 a month just on wound care supplies, which wow. is an astronomical amount, not all of it necessarily covered by insurance, things like that. And to me... You know, when I tell someone about EB, most of them have no idea what it's about, right? And for them, unless you have a personal connection to EB, to say, oh, hey, we're, you're going to give money, and maybe 10, 20, 15, 50 years down the road, we might get a cure, is very hard for people to wrap their heads around if they don't have a real connection to it, right? hundred so wanted, So I wanted to split whatever money we brought in, have to go towards the research, which is obviously extremely important so we can find a cure, but also have to go to support families that have the, 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 you know, they're dealing with the effects of EB, you know, so it's easier for people who have never heard of it to like, understand what are we practically doing right now? How are we making a difference? And the second thing I want, or the third thing I wanted to accomplish with my organization was, like I said, almost all organizations focus on people who are older, have money um, that can give large amounts of money. I wanted to focus on high school, college, and young professionals who, you know, are just starting out. So they may not have a significant amount of money to give, but the goal is get them acclimated with the cause now, teach them about what it means, you know, what EB is or any other organization or or other cause really, and let them grow into it. So when, you know, five, 10 years down the road, when they do have money, you know, to give, then they really feel a connection, you know, to give those that big investment. Um, And, you know, so that was something that was, that was really important to me. And that's how I started was called team butterfly, which was, uh, which is a running organization, uh, an organization that mainly we focused on doing running events, marathons, 
five, you know, five uh, Ks, uh, color runs, things like that, where people would run, raise money, and you know, support support the cause. And my first year, I thought, you know, I was like, hey, you know, so I would just say this is that I, I partnered with another a big or EV organization um, to to get off the ground. And you know, as we were as I was explaining to this, I, I was telling them, you know, I think we'll be, you know, I'd be ecstatic if we get 15 people to run you know i'm sure i can get 15 of my friends to do it and the first year actually when we ran the jerusalem marathon i think in 2012 it was we ended up having 50 people right wow and and raising about seventy five thousand dollars, right and like it just blew me away that people were invested in this right and you know i went from yeshiva to seminary to yeshiva to seminary you know recruiting and speaking and, and doing that and it was just really inspiring to see that people cared about, you know, this no-name disease that they'd never heard of, um, you know, and were inspired to get involved and, and make a difference. So, you yeah. know, thank God from then we then grew and grew and grew, um, you know, to raise quite a bit of money and, and, and help out the community. So. And, and it's still running today or, or you're, so, or you're, yeah, so, it, or it took a backseat. It definitely took a backseat, you know, uh, during law school. I did, I did do a few uh, events for it during law school. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as I graduated and you know uh, started working, it obviously becomes a little bit difficult. Um, but definitely, my plan is to keep it going. We've, you know, had a little bit of a lull um, just because, you know, a, a lot of things with a, a rare disease really have to be run by people who are intimately involved. Um, and, um, you know, so, you know, you know, like me taking a, uh, you know, uh, a front, you know, uh, being in the driver's seat for that is very important, but we hope to, uh, definitely start doing some events around New York, um, and, and whatnot, hopefully soon. So, wow. So that's, that's amazing. So you came back from Israel and you went to YU or where did you go from Israel? Yeah, so after a year and a half in Israel, I went to to YU, excuse me, um, thinking that I was going to become a doctor. I was doing pre-med. Um, and, you know, turns out that wasn't for me. <laughs> um, and, you know, so I, I was there for three semesters um, in YU. Again, like, met great people, had a great experience. Um, I just realized that, you know, medicine wasn't for me. I wanted to pivot. That was really when I was really getting uh, into the nitty gritty of fundraising of um, nonprofit work and, and also the political scene. Um, so I kind of made a pivot that instead of uh, going to med school, I wanted to do policy and or, you know, nonprofit or law. And I, and I ended up deciding that transferring to Baruch, um, getting a, a degree in public affairs, um, and then going to law school would be the, the the best route for me. So wow did did you have did you 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 knew anyone in law meaning in the law industry that you were able to piggyback on by picking a a college or something and and then deciding on a major in law? Um, so I, I would say that I had um, there were definitely people in the community that I spoke to or people that I knew um and kind of you know got advice from um regarding you know what you know what the best direction was 
Um, right. Cause at, at a point I was, well, should I go to law school or should I get like a master's in like public affairs or whatever the case is, okay. um, international affairs. And, you know, it, it's, so one of my, my mentors in Baruch, uh, I was a professor of mine, great guy. His name is Marco DeSena. Um, I think I, in the span of two years, I took like three or four classes with him. Um, and it was very interesting. We were, we were, we were very close. And one day we were having a discussion about like what I should do after I graduate. And he's like, David, I want to come back tomorrow, do some research, find people who you would love to have their job, right? Like bring me a list of five or 10 people who you would love to have their job. That would be your end goal. Um, and I really, and I went home that night and I thought about it. I did research and I, and I came back to him and I, you know, we were talking, uh, once I had, he had the list, he's like, what do all these people have in common? And they all had law degrees, right? Oh, wow. And a lot of them, you know, at practice law or in politics or in national security or, or whatnot. Um, and, you know, it was like, you know, it shouldn't be such a unique way of thinking like, oh, just like find someone who you really want to have their job and, you know, follow their career trajectory. Um, but to me, at least, it was like a novel thing um, and really helped me out a lot. Um, and that kind of like solidified my decision, like, hey, I'm going to take the LSAC, go to law school um, and whatnot. Um, you know, because ultimately I, I and this is still my my goal. I, I, you know, politics is something I'm very interested in, very passionate about. Um, I actually worked for one of the top po- uh, political consulting firms here in, in New York City oh, wow. um, for, for a while. Um, and it was a great experience. And um you know that's why i wanted to be it's one of the reasons why i wanted to be in dc aside from the fact that gw is a very good school um you know so i always kind of had that in in my head go to law school you know practice a bit and hopefully get into get into politics and i ended up actually in law school i concentrated in in national security and international law so yeah so in law school how was it hard living away from uh in new york uh uh, West Hempstead was it hard for you to live away in in Washington like you were dorming or, or I don't know what you were do- doing how you were living there or was it yeah. hard for you it definitely was an adjustment I will say that so um when I started law school in 2017 um uh-huh. my family actually like the year or two before I decided that they were going to make Aliyah so mm-hmm. um my parents, all my siblings were moving to Israel. So it was wow. interesting. Like, you know, so, you know, obviously I was not going to be in New York anyway, because I had decided that I was going to uh, go to school in, in DC. But, um, you know, they also made the decision that they're going to make Aliyah. Um, and that we actually, the same exact summer within like the week, you know, I went to DC, they all left to Israel, sold the wow. house and, and whatnot. So, you know, it, it was definitely interesting because, uh, it was definitely an adjustment having lived in Manhattan the past the, the years prior to that. Um, really having to, I didn't go knowing anyone, um, right. having any friends there. I, I, I had like some friends of friends that I was in contact with, uh, you know, I went down to visit and all that. But, you know, go, definitely in the school, I knew no one. Um, and um, and the Jewish community there was like, there's a small right. Jewish young professional community. So, you know, thank God I was able to find a, uh, you know, a roommate uh, and get an apartment there. Um, but it definitely took a bit of, um, you know, a, a bit of time to, to acclimate myself, A, to law school, because law school is 
very different than any type of school you go to. Mm -hmm. Um, But then also just the community and being in DC itself, you know, I was, thank God I was able to uh, during law school and in that first year, go back to Israel, go to Israel to visit family, you know, during my breaks and for some of the the Chaim, you know, I would always come back to my grandparents' house for like, you know, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. Um, But, you know, uh, it was definitely, it was definitely a process, you know, getting used to everything there. You know, right. and I'll say, you know, one of the big things there also is that, you know, you're in New York, you're used to having a lot of kosher food and, <laughs> uh, and you know, and, and there are Jews everywhere. You know, in my, so first of all, in D.C., in D.C. proper, when I was there, there was like two kosher restaurants. Actually, there might have been only one at the time. Um, so that's something that you have to get, get to get used to. And there's no like in D.C. proper, you know, a kosher supermarket. You have to go 30, 40 minutes out outside of DC to, to get to a kosher supermarket. Um, um, so that was definitely took a little bit of time uh, to get used to. Um, but, you know, again, it was a really cool, good experience. And, and I'll say one of the other things that was, that was, that was took time getting used to is, um, so I was in a class of about, I think, 400 people. So GW is wow. one of the biggest, the biggest law schools in the country one of um and we again there were about 400 people in our, in our class um and i was the only one in the entire school that wore a kippa um wow. you know i i actually then found like my first my first week there's actually one professor that wore a kippa i actually had my second semester um but again that was something that took a while to get used to you know being the only really visible jew obviously there were a lot of jewish people in the school but someone who wore a kippa you know very interesting so wow. yeah we will be right back after words from our sponsor. Do you have a business or organization that you are looking to promote? Are you tired of paying top dollar only to have your ad thrown on page 225 when no one sees it? Well, at the Munsim of Asr, your business is our business. We won't let that happen. Our highly skilled graphics department can help make you that perfect ad, and our talented layout team will find the perfect spot so your ad never gets lost among hundreds of others. Call us today to reserve your ad, 845-835-3399, or send an email to sales at muncimavassar.com, and our sales team will respond promptly. The Muncie Mavassar, Muncie's premier Jewish newspaper, Got everything you want and nothing you don't. Visit us online at www.muncimavasar.com. And we are back on the Unique Perspective show. So you finished law school? Yep. In what year? Uh, so it was in the middle of the pandemic. Um, I, fin- I graduated in May of 2020. Oh, wow. So right in the beginning of the pandemic, you graduated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Was that was that also difficult because you graduated like in the heart of the pandemic? Yeah, it definitely was for a number of reasons. Um, so the pandemic, you know, in America or like most of the world, really started what in like the end of February, beginning of March in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, so the last two years of law school, the second and third year of law school, I was actually involved in a um, in a Israel program we w- where we would um bring non-jewish students to israel for um for spring break and tour and all that um and 
um, which is a great experience. You know, uh, they can talk. I can talk about that for hours. Okay. Um, and um, so, right when the pandemic started, we were in Israel. We were all coming back, and I think if I remember correctly, between the day that um, we got back from spring break, we had one day of class, and then basically everything was canceled right after that. Wow. So it was very, it was difficult in the sense of graduating law school where the entire last half of my last semester was a all online. No one had any idea what they were doing. Cause like, you know, online, you know, zooms wasn't really much of a thing, you know, at that point. Um, and also it was very difficult just because, you know, a lot of people who you, you know, who I'd grown close to or become friends with throughout three years of law school. Right. We were in, spring break and then right after that basically no one saw each other again right so um between you know not seeing all the people that i had spent years studying with and and and, and getting to wow. know and then you know kind of just graduating with a thud it was you know kind of kind of sad for us you know well, that, um, yeah. I, it, so it was difficult but uh, you know at the end of the day we graduated we did it um and here we are working so you know wow so just uh, just a couple more questions. Sure. Are you still are you still like in, in contact with besides Ali Portal? Are you still in contact with anyone other than him from Chaylef and Kem Simcha or Kids of Courage? Are you still involved with any of them? Are you in contact with them? Yeah. So so I, I definitely am um, with some people. Again, I wouldn't say necessarily daily contact. Um, and I'll also say with Kids of Courage. So. I was after High Lifeline. I believe I was a camper on Kids of Courage for one year, and okay. then I actually became a, a staff member and then head staff at Kids of Courage. Um, right before, uh, I think my last year it was the summer before or the summer of that, that I went to law school, which was actually convenient because they were going to DC for the trip, and then I was just there, so it was great. Um, but um, I definitely am, in, you know, still in contact with you know, former counselors, um, you know, some people who are campers, things like that. Um, you know, it's obviously a really big part of my life. Um, definitely a big part of my childhood. And I still consider it a big part of my life, even though I, um, you know, aren't really involved with either organization at this right. point, you know, that much, um, you know, it really, I think, kind of helped kind of form my perspective on, you know, life to an extent on EB. And um, so I'm really grateful to every, you know, to like what those organizations g gave me. And I think a lot of that has to do with the staff members, you know, the counselors um, that, you know, are at those organizations that are, you know, making a difference for, you know, the kids like, you know, like you and me, you know, and I'm sure you have similar experiences. Right. Um, where you know had we not had that you know i think one of the big things that i got out of camp some class special high lifeline kids of courage was you know i think before you go to a camp or a program like that you know when you have a disability it's really kind of like a me versus the world thing where right. you know you're the only one that's different you know i you know either look different feel different talk to whatever whatever it is you know and 
you know, whether people, how people deal with that around you is very different. And I think I can tell you from personal experience, I don't think I was really comfortable in my own skin really until, you know, Kim Simcha and Kids of Courage, where I was kind of able to kind of like see other people around me and have people accept me for who I was, um, you know, disability and all. Um, and, you know, that kind of helped me break out, you know, break the mold, I think. Right. hundred um, percent. And, and realize that, oh, yeah, you have EB, but that shouldn't stop you from being a normal person, from doing what you want and things like that, you know, excuse me. And, you know, I, and I, and I really, I would say I credit Kim Simcha and, and Chai Lifeline really for, um, for A, giving me that perspective. And um, one thing I'll just mention is that when I first started my organization, Team Butterfly, the first year I actually ran the 10K, um, wow. right? Everyone was running to raise money for my organization. And I was like, you know, in, in years prior, when I would do these marathons, you know, maybe, you know, I would either, I would have like a former counselor or someone push me in a wheelchair, and, you know, I'd run across the, 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 the finish, finish line, line, you know, right, like you know, the last 200 feet. And I think one year I did the last mile barely. Um, and I was like, you know, and it was just funny to me how, you know, people like all the runners and, you know, these, these marathons of thousands of people, you know, come over to me, pat me on the back. Like, you're doing great. I'm just like sitting there in a wheelchair. Like, I'm not doing anything. Like, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, um, yeah. and, you know, when I, when I started my organization, I was like, you know, I think this is a time to like, hopefully inspire people and like make a difference but also challenge myself to do the run myself and, you know, to the best of my ability, you know, and I, again, I really credit it to Hamsam Chai Lifeline and all those people involved who kind of gave me that attitude of, you know, I'm not going to be different and I am going to try and, 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 you know, do the impossible essentially, you know, and thank God I was, you know, I, I, I did the 10 K, um, you know, small little secret. I didn't do the whole thing. I was, okay. so I actually had, had a group of, of uh, like, I don't know, 10 of my friends who were running with me. And, you know, at various times during the run, uh, you know, you, you like, hopped I, in their wheelchair. <laughs> I, I, well, I would actually say I hopped on them, you know, they'd like give me a piggyback <laughs> ride on their shoulders. So, you know, again, it was like a really fun experience, but you know, even just that was just, you know, it was obviously very difficult and I couldn't walk for like two weeks after, but really all of that I really think stems from those experiences at Camp Simcha, the Courage, High Life Line and whatnot. Wow. You know, and, and, and like I said, like, you know, the, the people, the, the, the counselors there, I think were super, super important just of how they handled the, themselves and, and the attitude that they had, you know, with us. Um, you know, and like I said, I, you know, thankfully I'm in touch with, you know, a bunch of them today um which is again crazy to think my first counselor ever ever i don't know if you, you remember ari pelkovitz yeah um, of course he lives in the know. city doesn't he yeah yeah he lives in the city i've you know i see him from time to time and um i think he has two know. or three kids now yeah yep yep he does um and you know it's just so funny because you know i met him when i was like seven years old you know that that uh -huh. or whatever whatever it was and that he was my first counselor and you know till this day we're you know we're still friendly and um right. and you know and it's just it's very interesting and having people that know you for so long um it's it's very interesting and it's great yeah. 
Are you in touch with like A.Y. Mer Mernick or you're, you're yes, not so, really? So A.Y. Mernick is, I, so I speak to him occasionally. He's actually, uh, he's also an attorney. Right. He, uh, he was living out in L.A. I, he actually now lives in, in Texas. Um, right. and, uh, yes, I speak to him every once in a while. Um, you know, he's great. And, um, there's a lot of other people, uh, yeah. that, you know, there's, there's so many to name, but, but those are, yeah, it's too long. Uh, yeah. The names are, the names are too long, but yeah, it, I mean, again, it's, well, all those people I think really gave their own unique blend and, you know, their own, uh, twist on, on what it, on on or i would say they each kind of um helped me in their own way realize i'm sure you know your counselors as well and, and, yeah. and whatnot you know i just want to spill a little some some news between yeah. me and you so our last summer together in i think it was 2008 and um it was before kids of courage started so um we had we were color war generals together. I remember know, that. If you yeah, don't remember, yeah, yeah. if you remember they, that, they put us up against each other. They yeah. put us up against each other, and unfortunately, I just found this out uh, a couple years ago that yeah. they that they cheated, and you your team team blue actually won. Team really? red team red lost. You know why they they did that? You know why they why? cheated and said team red won. Because they don't want people to go into crisis. So, you know what? I'll I'll take the L just for that. I'll I'll <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take the L. So no one has to go into crisis. Um, but but that is that is funny to 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 hear that all those years later. That was a really fun time. You know, I remember that that it was you know, the, it a, was the craziest yeah. year I think in two thousand eight. Yep. Uh, yeah, it was that was that was really really fun. That was uh, yeah, that was that was a that was a good time. I remember how they, you know, how they broke out color war. I remember <laughs> it's 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 funny because like you know now I'm thinking back and I can like vividly remember us on the stage as they announced the winner. <laughs> um, you know, um, both had our face painted and it was and it was crazy. Um, yeah. but those were those were those are good times and I you know. I'm sure they're having the best times even now, you know. It's I was just there a couple of weeks ago, um, for Bike for High. Oh, and wow. and yeah, it, it looked like they it's definitely different today. And sure. I'm not gonna lie. But for the kids that there are there that are there now, it's the same like it was when we for were sure. there. Yeah, and I think it's also, you know, it's one of those things when you go back and, you know, looking at your childhood, everything is different. And, you know, and, and, you know, we have those feelings, you know, when we're, we're kids looking through one lens, it's different than when we go back and looking through the adult lens. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and even when I was a staff member and, you know, I was a counselor uh, or, you know, head staff at, at Kids of Courage, you know, it was, it was all different. Every, every, um, you know, it, these things change over time, but I think, you know, one of the, just the important thing really at the end of the day is that the the campers and the the kids that are there they love it no matter what you know and and I always say that really you know whether it's kids of courage or camp simcha you could just put all those people in a room and do absolutely nothing and everyone would still have a blast right because at the end of the day a hundred percent it's really just about the people it's about you know the atmosphere um you know 
and 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 that's really what it comes what it comes down to. Um, yeah. You know, and um, I will say, you know, just as an aside, going back as a like a staff member, um, and I never, unfortunately, I never got to go back as a staff member to to Camp Simcoe, and I actually haven't been to to, to the camp since I guess 2008, which is, which is pretty crazy. Um, but you know, I did have the experience. Very different, going, very different. Now. I'm sure. I, I know they've done construction and, you know, yeah. um, you know, I, maybe, maybe next year we'll go back. Um, but, um, you know, going as, um, as a staff member on Kids of Courage, um, it was really inspiring because, you know, going from a camper to a counselor who's now giving to to you know to some of them are uh, children, but you know to the to the campers is really is really like a like a eye watering moment. At least it was for me, um, and especially when a lot of the the campers are people that I've known since you know you and I met, right? Since, right, since all the way back then. And it's really just cool to kind of see how everyone's grown up and doing their own thing. And and um, even people that are still going on these, you know, either Kids of Courage or High Lifeline, um, you know, they a lot of them have, a lot of these friends have made a name for themselves, you know, despite their disability and, you know, are working yeah. and doing things like that. And I think, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, people would have thought that that's like impossible. Right. And, you know, you're, it wouldn't you're 100% be, be right. You're and, 100% and I think right. it's really, yeah. And I, I think it's just changed a whole perspective on the disabled community. Thank God in the, in the Jewish world, you know, and I think, um, slowly, you know, hopefully that radiates radiates out outward towards, you know, the rest of the, the world also, because at the end of the day, you know, something that, uh, it's always tough to remember, but the disabled you know, disabled people are the largest minority in the world, right? Um, we can talk about race, skin color, whatever it is, but right. disabled people are the largest, and that covers a wide variety of, of disabilities. And I think it's just really important to remember that, that you know, someone that has a disability, whether they use a wheelchair or have, you know, a mental handicap or whatever it is, aren't that different, you know? And, you know, maybe they just need a little bit of help on something or doing things a little bit differently. And I think you know, we're just as keeping, I think it's, um, you know, we, uh, hopefully the world gets to that place where, where there is really no difference, you know? Yeah. Very well said. Uh, just one last message that sure. you have for you, for our listeners to just tell the world that you want to send. Um, that message. Let's see. I think, um, well, first of all, I would, I'll just say this. I appreciate you inviting me on um, and, and and giving me the platform. And I hope everyone tunes in and, you know, because I've listened to your, um, you know, your past shows and I think they're great. And, I, you know, I like what you're doing. Um, and so, that, so that's great. And I think really just the message is, is that, you know, people may look at it different from the outside and, and, and do things a little bit differently, but that really shouldn't, you know, have an impact on who they are and, and what they, what they're capable of. Um, you know, and I, and I, and I think we've all probably been there, you know, if you've had a disability, you've all had that experience where people treat you differently. And, um, you know, I think it's time to just show that, Hey, we're here, we're here to stay and, and, and where we can put in our, uh, you know, 
our, our work and, and do everything that, that you can, even if it's a little bit different. Um, you know, and, and unfortunately, in these day and age, everyone's a little bit tense and everyone's uh, has different opinions, but we all just got to come together. So that's about it. You know? Wow. Wow. Beautiful message. Yeah. Yeah. So, David, I, I just uh, want to say thank you for letting me interview and um, hopefully um, I, I've definitely gained a lot from this interview and it was really a pleasure. First of all, to get to back to knowing each other, that, that that's really incredible. And what you give out to the world is, is something very special and unique and just keep it up. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, same goes for, for you. I, uh, you know, I, I think that you're, you know, I, I wish I, you know, I, uh, you know, just doing what you are and like spreading people's messages. I think it's really cool. I think it's great for people to hear, you know, different things going on from different people and, and, and voices. And, you know, um, I appreciate being here and uh, keep up the good work and let's, let's, you know, we like you said when we started this. I don't think you and I have been in the same room in like 10, 15 years at the minimum. So here we're in a virtual room, but hopefully soon we'll be in a physical room together. A hundred percent. Yeah, let's let's make that happen. Anyway, Absolutely. thank you, David. Have a great day and thank you. enjoy. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. You have just listened to the latest episode of the Unique Perspective Show. Broadcasted live on Hako Radio, powered by the Munson Mavasser. The Unique Perspective Show is hosted by Yehuda Blonder, who can be contacted through Hako Radio by sending an email to info at hakoradio.com. This show and many others can be found in the Hako Radio archive system, on our website and mobile apps, and can also be found on all major podcasting services.